Welcome to the Wild Feather Podcast. Hang on because you are in for a ride today with our guest, Christine McDaniel. She started her first company in her 20s and since she has founded and sold multiple lucrative companies from cleaning services to Christmas trees to software. She has a gold mine of stories, as you can imagine. Her energy, stamina, and her deeply ingrained entrepreneurial spirit will have you inspired in no time. Let's get to it. Super excited. Uh, today we have Christine McDaniel on and talk about an entrepreneur. This woman is like fierce and like um, serial entrepreneur and fantastic. So I can't wait because there's so much to cover. But thank you for joining us. And uh, we're super excited to have you here. I'm super excited to be here, Brooke. Thanks for bringing me on. Ah, absolutely. Okay. So we have a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Uh, How many companies have you started? I've had in the last 20 years, 10 startups from the ground up that I've built and sold. And then another about 10 to 12, I start losing track of just um, business acquisitions, buying, selling, flipping, um, rolling in other companies. So it's been a fun ride so far. That's for sure. I'll say that's, um, that's amazing. I always say like an entrepreneur mind, like it's in your blood, like you can't, uh, it's either in your blood or not, right? And I think it probably, I can say it truly runs in your blood for sure. That's awesome. Without a doubt, yeah. since I was a little kid. So it's nice to be doing something that I was like born to do. Yeah. And, and it feels right. Right. That's awesome. Okay. So right now you're the principal of the Magnolia Firm and um, would love to hear about w- what you guys are doing, um, but... Then I want to start from the beginning and find out how you started, how you became a founder, and what led you there. You said it started when you were a young girl, but I also want to talk about you've you've been a founder of service-based companies, product-based companies, software-based companies, like so many things. So I'm really interested to um, learn about all those choices and decisions and the different makes and models, but. Tell us about the Magnolia Firm first. Yeah, definitely. So I started the Magnolia Firm like a little over a year and a half ago. So pretty recently, I brought on an amazing business partner last year um, so we could scale up. I thought I would keep it kind of boutique, be semi-retired, only do a couple transactions a year. And then, of course, my style is like, (laughs) let's go really big and let's be the best in the industry and let's innovate because the industry is so, so dated. It is insane. I'm not kidding you. There are M&A advisors, business brokers using fax machines still, if you believe that. (laughs) Yes, yes. One was on a webinar training and he mentioned it almost fell out of my chair. So (laughs) So you're using typewriters too? (laughs) 
<laughs> I know, probably, probably. So I just was like, you know, it's so ripe for innovation and disruption. And if you look at all my previous companies, that's what I was about was like taking an industry and kind of building it for myself, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> like something I wanted. I wanted, you know, a house cleaning company that was pet friendly and that used eco-friendly products. And this was back before, you know, tw- 2003, 2005, when people didn't even know what the word green cleaning product meant. Right. It's so crazy. Like in hindsight, or like a wellness spa that was centered around colonics, which is typically a very like clinical setting, not a spa setting. So it's just these things. I'm like, oh, I wish there was this. And <laughs> and I'm like, oh, let me just make it. So I love to innovate. That's probably the, my, the best part of the startup world. Startup world is definitely, a, there's a certain breed of us because it's a very hard world. Yeah. And now that I'm in business acquisitions, you know, buying, using, you know, OPM, other people's money to buy a cash flowing business, you know, it just makes so much more sense. Right. Yeah. But then you miss the creative part. Right. Right. And running around with your hair on fire. Uh, I know. <laughs> so you are acquiring and selling companies. Tell us about what kind of companies does it apply to startups? So like if someone is thinking about M&A or maybe they haven't thought about it, um, I think sometimes founders get so hung up in like building the company, they don't think oh, I could get acquired, right? Like, especially when they reach the burnout stage. So what kind of companies are you typically working with when you're acquiring it? Yeah. And that's such a delicate balance that I try to teach. And I kind of made, even though I knew better, I kind of made that same mistake with my software company and I knew better. And I've been preaching this. You want to start, you want to build an incredible company. All you want to focus on the first couple of years is not that exit price at all, at all. Cause that will come naturally. So you're not thinking of the date. You're not thinking of the price in the first like year one to two, two, three years. Um, you're concentrating on building an amazing company, an amazing solid team, processes, operations, an incredible reputation. Like bar none, the reputation, like you can't fix it if you have a bad one. It's very hard. So, and then this exit comes naturally. Then you could start thinking about, okay, I want to exit in the next year or two. Let me start figuring out, you know, exit strategy, planning. Here's my number. Okay, great. Otherwise, it's a big distraction. And too many people, again, with my software company, that was especially in tech, right? Like we're going to exit for this number. And like that distracted me. Like get back to basics. Like let's just get to revenue first (laughs) before we're thinking of that. And so I think that that's a, a nice balance for us as a firm. We're strictly taking on clients that are at least, um, net profit, uh, out, you know, or EBITDA about a quarter of a million and up. So I need to cash for at least a quarter of a million and above that for the companies we're taking on. Yeah. And we strictly do digital based software, digital marketing agencies, SaaS, um, and the market's hot right now for cash flowing businesses, which is nice. Yeah. And then you've got your businesses that just raised capital the last couple of years on insane valuations that didn't make sense, myself included. Um, and those are struggling right now because they don't have revenue and they can't necessarily just because they raise on a 10 million valuation doesn't mean their companies really that someone would pay yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, that much. Mm-hmm. And you said the CRM um, industry is hot. 
right now? Yeah, CRM integrators. So some companies that are installing Salesforce, you know, they have a large organization. They need to install Salesforce or HubSpot, Zoho, all those CRM integrators. And there's so much customization that has to be done. It doesn't matter what kind of business is implementing it. There's integrations, customizations. So these agencies that come in and do that, they are super hot right now. Like we've unloaded three already. We're finding more because we have a wait list. Um, so those are, those are pretty cool to, to sell. That's exciting. Super exciting. Okay. I think that would be a fun, I think that'd be fun what you do. Um, uh, okay. So let's start back. Uh, was it a snow cone business when you were here? <laughs> my first one, I think I was selling like bubble gum out of my backpack. <laughs> I was like selling, I know. I think I got in trouble too, like bubblish. And it's funny, I didn't know. And my dad was a business owner, but he never, he led by example. It was fun watching him being self-employed and then later getting a team under him. He was in HVAC, but he never really sat down and like taught me business, which is kind of in, in hindsight. I'm like, okay. I just was like, naturally, you know, I, at Costco, I'm like, dad, I want to buy this pack of bubble gum and I want to sell it at school. And he's like, okay, Chrissy, well, you're going to have to pay the $12 for this whole package of bubble gum. And then I came home and I took a calculator and this is at age like 12 or 13. And I was like, okay, if I sell each pack for 50 cents and I just gave my dad $12, what am I going to have left over at the end of the day if I sell out? And like, so literally I was calculating profit, but I wasn't, (laughs) I didn't know that. So it just like came so naturally. So I did that. And then, yeah, I did snow cones instead of lemonade stand. And then my sister, my younger sister was like the poor person. I actually bought one off eBay, the exact same one from back in the day. I found it like the one where you're like turning and like manually shaving the ice and then different flavors. And um, so I think I gave her a nickel and I kept 45 cents. To the snow <laughs> so yeah, cheap labor, poor thing. And she's doing all the work, but yeah. Fantastic. So, so little, little ventures circuit, like a circus in my garage with my friends that we charge admission to come in and watch That's like awesome. all these little money-making yeah. the babysitter club books I was obsessed with. So then I wanted to like make a babysitting club and like take a percentage of all, you know, my friends babysitting stuff. I don't, it's so weird. I've always been that way. You know, speaking of that, I think there could be a total need for a babysitting club uh, nowadays. I remember my kid's like 13 now, but a few years back when I needed a sitter, like I didn't get them often, right? So it would have been nice to have this network of people just say, hey, is anyone available, right? Like, I think it would be fantastic. I think more girls need to take advantage of that idea. For sure. <laughs> anyway, okay. So you were a leasing consultant and then that's when you started your cleaning company. And I love this cleaning company idea and it was extremely successful and um, and you sold that too. But tell us how you started that and how it morphed and growed over the years. Because you had that for what, six and a half years or more? Yeah. Yeah. I think about six, six to seven years before it, yeah, it sold. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So I was a leasing consultant. I was a property manager from like age 17 to 23, right in there. Real estate, got my real estate license right out of high school, decided to skip college, which was the best decision in the world and go straight into workforce. And cause I was already doing really well in property management. So I worked corporate, 
and so the, you know, I got a taste of corporate. I didn't like it. And so started my cleaning company, age 23, $300, cleaned uh, every single day for a year and a half in downtown San Diego. And then I bartended at night to pay my bills. It was a crazy, crazy time, but it was worth it. Um, so just scaled up from there. And from day one, I knew I would have a team. I just needed to hustle to get to that point. And I knew that mm-hmm. they just weren't going to give like a business loan to a 23 year old that had, and I had so much debt. So I had to pay all that off and it, it was wild. Right. Right. So you, you mentioned earlier that you started it for your own needs, right? I, uh, I love that. I think a lot of people start businesses cause they're like, I need this and I got to figure it out. Right. And I can't be the only one. Uh, so you scaled that and then you sold that. Did you sell it in like, from a, like a firm, like you're the one you work with now, or was it, how did you go about selling that? Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, it was, um, word of, you know, I had big networks. Like I was in BNI, I was in all these business networking groups. I was always big on networking, even at a long, young age. So it was word of mouth at ask around and it was a six figure deal. And a lot of business brokers don't want to take a deal under a million. And so it was like a referral of a referral and he turned out to be pretty decent. Like again, brokers, I <laughs> can't go on and on about, um, kind of the reputation that they have. And that's why, you know, we call ourselves business intermediaries, M&A advisors. I don't even like calling myself a business broker at all. I don't want to be lumped up with those guys. Um, So yeah, you know, there was definitely mistakes made, which we learned the hard way. You know, I'll talk about just one real quick, which I'll never let any of my clients commit to. And I wish, you know, again, I was young. And so um, my broker told me to put, you know, in the agreement, he put 90 days of training, like full-time 90 days of train. And I'm like, wait a minute, like I'm never there. I have a manager. Like, why would I need to train the new owner for three months? There's no way like the, this company is automated. And he's like, oh, Christine, he's like, they're never going to like take you up on it. You know, like the owner will come in and after a couple of weeks, they'll probably just kick you out and be good because the manager's running the company, not you. Long story short, he comes in and he's like, nope, you're here full time, 90 days. And I had already started my next venture because I always dovetail the new one into the old one. Right, right. <laughs> I'm already on to the next. I don't want to take a break. <laughs> and I just, and a good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine just last week reminded me, he's like, yeah, I remember how, how he was making you like answer the phones and do like secretarial stuff. And I like must have blocked that out. I'm like, Kevin, are you, he's like, no, don't you remember? I was like, oh my God. I mean, we compromised. We had to come to some sort of a conclusion of like, like, okay, I'll work 20 hours a week. Like I can't work 40, like maybe 10 hours a week for the three months. I forget what we sorted out, Mm -hmm. but I just was like, why would my broker tell me that? Why did he put it in the agreement? So we never put that long of training in any of my sellers purchase agreements ever, 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 unless they genuinely would need it, but they don't. It's usually a couple weeks. Yeah. That's a long, uh, a long bit, uh, especially full time, right? Jeez. Yeah. But again, that's standard in all these purchase agreements back in the day and probably still. And again, they just don't, they leave it in there and it's like, let's, let's try to work. You know, I'm like, I got my sellers back. Right. Like we're, we're going to try to, you know, make it as easy as possible for them on the transition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you went from cleanology to social starfish. Like I, the vast difference of your businesses, I just absolutely love. I love it. Anyway. Okay. So what's social starfish? 
Yeah, so that was a um, social media firm, and I actually uh, had a boyfriend at the time that hated his job and had a horrible boss. He was there for seven years, and you know he was pretty tech savvy. So I was like, oh, what kind of a business could I start for both of us? And just side note, it's kind of a joke because I had like two or three boyfriends that I gave <laughs> businesses to. So the I know. So the joke is like, oh, if you date, if you date Christine, at least you end up with a business as like a (laughs) consolation prize because usually I like I like I'm the one that ends it and then I feel guilty and then it's like hey you can have the business I'll start you know it's so easy for me to start new ones so you know here you go I've done that a couple times but um and that happened with that one and to this day he still has and he's super super grateful and yeah so uh so yeah I mean again for my cleaning company there was and social media was just starting again I'm always on like the front end of the stuff so it's like an educational you know, and I know me and you talked before when you innovate, it's massive education because it's like something brand new. People don't understand necessarily. So they said Facebook was a fad. I'll never forget that. This is in 2010. So this is 13 years ago. Um, we were selling specifically, um, Facebook, uh, like, uh, company pages to restaurants. So social media for restaurant industry is what our niche was. Um, so yeah, I, I was only in there, I think two years total before, um, he ended up buying me out for a small amount, just enough cash for me to start the spa. Cause I bootstrapped the heck out of that. So I was like, look, I just need living expenses for three months. That's it. I don't even need money for the spa. I pre-sold, uh, pre-sold, uh, memberships to my spa in order to oh, build it. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was cool. But yeah, just a very nominal amount. He gave me a check for, I like scraped by for three months personally, and then launched the spa immediately. Wow. Uh, so tell us about pre-selling. I know, uh, several founders do this and uh, they have great success in pre-selling things. Uh, did you have a building or a, a location at the time? Was this a standstill building type spa or was it a spa go to your house type type spa? Oh my God, Brooke, you're going to crack up. <laughs> so I am so ready, fire, aim, like you wouldn't believe. So my my coach, my business coach, he's still, he's amazing, dear friend, consultant. He said, you should pre-sell spa memberships to like crowdfund. So again, this is 2012. This is 11 years ago. There was no crowdfunding platforms back then. So this was just, you know, me using my network. He said, hey, why don't you like sell an annual spa membership, but like super discount it. Because then that's going to, I think it was like 1200 for the year, which was like dirt cheap. But, you know, just sell a bunch of those to, to build your spa. I had not even signed a lease yet when I was selling those. <laughs> Which is crazy. And then signed a lease as I was, you know. Did you have you like know, a pre-selling. website or anything? Um, I had like this cute brochure. Like I had a graphic design team. Friends of mine make like a really beautiful like PDF. <laughs> That's all I had. We didn't even have a website yet. Um, we didn't even have, I don't even know if we had our name yet. And so I used that PDF. I pre-sold. And again, I'm, I'm well known in San Diego. Right. So I think. You know, people knew I was legit, like I'm not going to screw them over. So sold like $30,000, I think. Um, yeah. And then borrowed another $20,000 um, on a promissory note from a friend with a high interest rate, a uh, very high interest rate. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, what was it? It was a crazy, I tell everybody, would you pay, um, would you pay 10000 to borrow twenty? And like, 
raise your hand in the room. Nobody raises their hand. That's insane. And then I'm like, would you pay $10,000 in interest to make 90,000 in cash? And then everybody raised their hand. And that's what ended up happening for me. Um, you know, within 15 months we became profitable. And so I paid her off and, and that was that, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was it. I'm just bootstrapping. I like doing that. Um, and I know we'll probably talk about my software company. That's the first time I took, um, like actual investors on, which I would never do again. It's extremely stressful for me. Um, uh, personally, it just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to I wanna talk about that because bootstrapping, a lot of people think the goal is to get funding. And, uh, I, myself, I started down that road. I quickly realized I, I don't, I'd rather bootstrap. I don't care if it takes me longer. I'd much, me personally would rather bootstrap, but, um, I've gone through that grind and I think it's amazing for people that, I mean, I'm, I'm not judging. I think it's amazing for people that get funding, et cetera, and grow massively. Uh, it's just, I can appreciate where you're coming from because I'm pretty sure I'm probably in a similar boat mindset. Uh, so you've bootstrapped all of these, but the software company, which uh, <laughs> software is a beast. Uh, so then you went to, your biz rocks. Now, what's that? Oh, no, that was just a fun podcast I did on this. Yeah, it was a YouTube show. Ah, yeah. fun. Fun. Okay. And this is where I love, so Adopt the Christmas Tree, um, that, like, you were on Oprah and, like, hitting it big time, right? That company did really well. Was that your longest company? Yeah. So we're in Oprah's magazine, which when they publish you in a magazine, you don't even get noticed. So my friend Hillary, I'll never forget it. My friend Hillary's in Chicago and she calls me. She's like, oh my God, your, your, your article in uh, Oprah, your mention came out. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, page 73, Oprah's magazine. Don't you know about it? I'm like, I, I rushed to the drugstore, you know, yeah. like, oh my God, are you serious? And so we had a blurb. My company, they talk about my company in there. Alicia Silverstone had blogged about it. We got like national media coverage and it was just insane. And so that business actually bought from an environmentalist here in San Diego. Um, he, I got connected to him. There are these living potted Christmas trees. We have singing, dancing elves, deliver them. He only had the business for a year. And then he's like, I'm, I'm on to bigger environmental uh, project, a huge one. And so he's like, ah, I don't have time for this. And so, yeah, I bought it from him for like $500, which is unbelievable because it was so freaking profitable. I had it for 10 years and then sold it because it was just a lot for me to run my spa. And then those, you know, 10 years of having no holidays of working like, you know, from November, December, January, like insane hours. I just couldn't do it anymore. And so these are, tell me what these are. These are Christmas trees that you don't have to cut down. They're in pots. And you can decorate them. And then after Christmas, say you go and you can plant them in your yard if you want. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So it's um, 32 million trees get cut down in the U.S. alone for Christmas every single year. So this was just this amazing way to, you know, so either they keep the tree. So it's kind of fun because some families can plant them in their backyard and they will point out. Okay, there's Christmas 2012, Christmas 2013. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They'll like line them up. And so, but the majority we would actually pick up and we would donate them to fire devastated areas of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, two th- the year I took that business over was the 2000, we had a couple wildfires. I think those were the 2005 wildfires or 2007. 
so, so massive. That's when we got like the massive national media coverage. My biggest regret, actually probably my biggest business regret, which is crazy. I just remembered this one is, um, Shark Tank had just come out in like 2007. I forget which year, but, um, was some people, I was like, wow, this would be the perfect business to go on there. But then I just didn't have time to put the application in. And again, Shark Tank had just come out. Then a friend of mine, a guy I know launched very similar business, pretty much identical in Los Angeles to what I was doing. And he got on Shark Tank and I was just like, I was getting phone calls, like, you know, that could have been you and, um, and it could have been, and that would have been rad. And Mark Cuban invested in his business. He's friends with them now. So I'm like, crap. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, is that company still going? Uh, mine or his? Yours. Um, no, and it sucks because I would have like taken it over. I always try to tell my buyers, like, God forbid something happens, just come let me know. Let me see if I can help you out. Right. If you're going to shut it down, please tell me. I'll take it back because um, I don't want any of these businesses to shut down. And that was kind of my claim. The thing I was most proud about is that I had these 10 startups and every single one was still in business to this day. So that was the only one. Yeah, everybody else is still in business. So yeah, it changed hands to more. I sold it to somebody. They sold it to somebody and that person mm. shut it down. I was like, ah, a like just a couple years ago. So yeah. where did you source the trees from? Oregon. They had to be trucked down from Oregon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're heavy when they're pot, the root ball and when root ball is massive, these are like six foot, you know, everybody wants these massive trees, yeah. you know, these were two, $300 a piece. So you've got really wealthy people in La Jolla and Rancho Santa Fe with these massive homes. So they want like a massive tree, but that's pretty much the tallest you can get in a pot without it weighing like 500 pounds. Right. Um, so, so yeah, we would get business. them. Because you're not going to ship these heavy things across the U.S., right? That's a local business. It's local and it is actual product that will not only expire, but you, I, I have to, I have to figure out how many to buy every season. Uh, so are we going to sell out or are we going to have extras? And then you're screwed, right? Cause yeah. it, it cuts in your margins so every tough. year, which is stressful because you have to order them way in advance, mm. right? Yeah. That's gotta be tricky. That's like gambling. Yay. It was, it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then what'd you do next? That's the spa. That was the spa. Yeah. I was already still into the spa. I had that for five years. That was probably my favorite. That was business number seven, lucky number seven. You know, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but I would say that one, you know, other than the Magnolia firm, of course, because this one's so much fun. And I was like, it was 20 years of business experience, like led to this, you know, to building my firm, which I love, but the spa was fun. I mean, it was, you know, 37 women at the end of the day, two locations, uh, five stars across the board on every single review platform you can imagine Yelp, which is super hard to do with the spa. You got massages, you got facials, colonics, infrared saunas, um, cold pressed juices. Um, but we just, we had a blast and we were growing super fast and it was all, all A players. I mean, we were like, when we rated the team, it was like A, A plus, A minus, like each team member. Mm-hmm. It was legit A team. And, and A players love to be surrounded by other A players. We challenge each other. We hit goals, stretch goals. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And I still go in there every month. So I still get treatment. Oh, yeah. yeah, every single month. And then um, some of the same girls work there, you know, and it sold like six years ago. That's awesome. Okay. Now, then you go into the car business. Yeah, because that was a passion of mine. <laughs> it's like a trip down memory lane. I'm like, I sound crazy. 
So, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not going to call you crazy, but you certainly are diverse. How about that? <laughs> Very diverse, very diverse. And let me, for all the audience listening, so uh, 42 years old now, never been married, no kids. So don't, you know, I think that some people are like, oh my God, how'd she do that? And it, it must, you know, I think that I had all the time in the world, you know, and I worked a ton starting these companies and I had that time to do so. So, so let me make that side <laughs> note. Um, so that's a good side <laughs> note because I'm sure people are, some people are like, holy smokes, how is she, she doing, doing this? That. Yeah. Well, she's got a lot of energy, just naturally, it seems. Yeah, for sure. But props to the wives with the kids and the that are running companies. Like yeah. that blows my mind. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. You guys are super women. So, um, so a car luxury car rental business. I am massively into cars. I have been my whole life, uh, racing cars, racing motorcycles, and I was just like, how can I drive these really amazing exotic luxury cars? Uh, without, you know, having to buy them like or just making money on them. So my first one was like a Porsche Cayman S. I bought it used. I put on Turo, which is like a peer sharing rental mm-hmm. platform. Um, this would have been 2017. And so, yeah, and it worked really well. So I launched Lex Car um, Collective with a really good friend of mine. And yeah, we were just renting out luxury cars, exotic cars, um, I didn't have it super long cause it was still, it was a pretty operational heavy business. Um, stressful. I had one person wrap my Porsche around a tree and thank God he didn't die. Like if you saw the video and the pictures, um, it was insane. So yeah, that it was a little crazy business. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I had it a year or two. Not that right. long. The liability I think would be stressful. Yay. Um, Okay. So then where's the software company come in at? Is that the Kindred? Well, after that, you did Kindred Quarters, right? Yeah, which was a co-living brand. So I was co-living with other entrepreneurs and decided to make it kind of into a venture. I launched a house in San Diego and then I launched a house in Los Angeles and then figured out like there's no way I could scale this. But co-living, the co-living industry that was just kind of coming up yeah. in 2017 needed software. There was no property management, so- like a PMS, property management software system could not like fit co-living correctly as far as a business model software um, for that business model. So launched Kindred with two, found two technical co-founders and uh, the three of us launched it. We got into Techstars within four months, which is crazy. It's one of the top accelerators in the world Mm -hmm. that took us, it was in Amsterdam. So I got to move to Amsterdam. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in 2018. And then I had within 10 months of starting, we had a $9.2 million acquisition uh, LOI on the table. Pre-revenue was absolutely insane from a company based out of Berlin. Um, and then I joined that team before the purchase agreement was signed, which everybody told oh, me yeah, this, not to yeah. do. Yeah. I told you the story already. It's crazy. So, uh, yeah, I need to write a book one of these days. Um, so I signed the LOI and I'm like, well, let me go join the team. Cause I was going to be put on the mergers and acquisitions team. Um, so they were going to implement our software globally to do co-living, uh, actual acquisitions of co-living operations. And I was going to be kind of the front facing, facing person of that on the M&A team. I was super excited. And yeah, I joined them right after I signed the LOI early before the, before purchase agreement, before the lawyers got involved. And um, I'm so glad I did within those two weeks, I'm sitting in the room with, you know, five M&A guys 
they were sharks, like the most shady, sharky people in the world. Um, the guy gets in at 11 a.m. on a Thursday morning, snorts a line of coke right next to me, like three feet away. Um, they were all cheating on their wives, so they were talking about it. And I'm just like, this is the most toxic. Like, I couldn't sleep those two weeks at all. Um and I was just like, I've got to, but it was solving a lot of issues. You know, my co-founders were going to get bought out and we were going to have all this capital. And like, I just couldn't even sleep. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this out of walk. And then my friends were like, oh my God, did you lose sleep that night walking from all of that money? And I was like, that was the first night I slept to be honest. <laughs> cause my gut was like, just get the heck out of this. And yeah, so I had to rush back to California cause I was going to stay in Europe, but I'd rush back to raise capital cause we were out of cash again, you know, yeah. software life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So did you end up uh, raising capital there or what'd you end up doing? here. Yeah. Yep. Came. I got to check the very next day. You know, I raised from angels. I raised from people I knew. I didn't take VC. I didn't want to take any VC uh, cash. I'm so glad I didn't. Um, so yeah, I was getting cut. I went to coffee shop, met with one friend, cuts me check, you know, within a couple of weeks, I got all the funding we needed. Um, that was in 20, when did I come back? 2019. And then COVID hits and we had a raise in the middle of COVID, July, 2020. And I, I said, this is it. Like if I can't hit revenue after this last, it was like a hundred thousand. And I knew that would carry the burn until the end of the year for six months. And I was like, look, if we don't, then no more, no more raising money. And so we didn't. And then I carried the company another year personally and just could not shut it down. Like I just literally physically tried and tried and tried, but I've never shut a company down. So I did, and I'm not a quitter. So I just, so we ended up selling it, thank God, to a company in LA. These guys I knew, um, they acquired it. Of course, it wasn't enough cash. Like it wasn't what I, we put into it. I had a lot of money into it, all sides, six figures into it. So unfortunately, not, a, not a, you know, to pay people back. But again, these were angels. Some of them were friends of mine. I ended up just paying them back afterwards because um, business brokerage really took off and I was making great money. And so I just kind of felt guilty. I just had to sleep at night, you know, mm -hmm. like I didn't necessarily have to pay them back. And honestly, they're very wealthy um, and they needed the tax write-off because <laughs> you're going to take like a 40, you know, 40% tax bracket. If you, if you gave somebody $100,000 on a convertible note, you know, and the company doesn't work out, um, you know, they get a write-off of 40,000. Right. So some of them are like, Hey, you know, but the majority paid the majority all back, which is, which, and I feel good about that, but I will never take investors on ever again. <laughs> yeah. Mark my words. So you didn't have to go through the whole pitching deck and the pitching and all of that. Oh yeah, I did. Probably over 300 times. Yeah, we pitched because the Techstars teaches you that. So we were still pitching to VCs, but again, their terms weren't very favorable. They want 50% of your company for $20,000. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But we still pitched a bazillion and even to angels. I'd have pitched to so many. Yeah. Like, over What was your biggest takeaway from Techstars? Because they have Techstars in the US all over, right? So why'd you choose Amsterdam one? And um, what was your biggest takeaway? Pros and cons. 
Oh my gosh. So really quick. It was my dream to get into YC, Y Combinator, yeah. San yeah. Francisco. Like that's the number one. Techstars is number two. So I, I tried twice. So the second time we get declined again and I was so upset. And then that, and you make a little cute video of like, yay, Christine Kindred, this is my business. So excited to be considered for Y Combinator. So Techstars reaches out. So I thought maybe they got the denial list, but they didn't. They just by chance had reached out for us to apply. So I was like, you know what, Lauren? Lauren's like my right hand. I'm like, Lauren, can you please just take that same video I made for my God? This is no joke. Just take it. I don't want to deal with it. Can you clip out the very end where I said Y Combinator? So she does it, recycles my little intro video because I didn't want to deal with it. I was still upset. And then we got in. So out of like however many hundreds of companies, they picked 10 companies from around the world. Um, I think there was like 300 um, they were choosing from and we got in. Um, what was my biggest takeaway? It was really fun because again, you you're it's 10 of us companies, um, tech companies from around the world. And it, you know, you had, you know, a guy for like to see the difference. Like when you leave the US, you you're in this hustle mentality here in the US. Work, 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 pitch, marketing, sales. I mean, the US is number one at marketing. Like it's a new country. I sort of got, we probably went and like hyped up US, you know, get over, get on boats, come over here. It's the best place in the world. Like we were born to be marketers here. I swear it runs in our blood. So sales and marketing, like we're just known for, and these other companies, you know, yeah, they're from, you know, these, there were guys from Spain and from Germany and, um, and from Amsterdam. So they're not as like kind of ballsy as we are. And their strength is not marketing at all. So when we would take the stage, I think there was three U S companies out of 10. I mean, we're marketers, we're sales. We would nail that freaking pitch with no problemo, but you know, the German, you know, it was, he's like, kind of like, I'm so jealous of you guys. He's like, I'm awkward. I'm uncomfortable. Like, like they're very, you know, they don't fluff things up like we do. Like, right. We just like make things so much more grand and grandiose and we exaggerate a bit and they don't. So it was interesting to see that, not know that because I'm in the mix or how much we hustle. I would go into a co-working space on a Saturday in Amsterdam and the front desk would be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to work. They're like, oh, on a Saturday, why are you working? I'm like, because I'm American. <laughs> that would always be my answer. And then, you know, because they don't work, you know, they would in Europe, especially in the summer. I mean, they would not work during the summer. And if so, a few hours a day, you know, so even during the week, it was very odd. But again, I didn't know that we work so hard here because right. I was just, you're just, you don't know any different. So those were the takeaways was just more cultural yeah. Um, takeaways. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That whole saying you, we live to work and they work to live. Uh, I feel like, you know, cause they don't work as much as we do. They do, but um, but real quick point because I went to a lot of conferences there. Um, they want to be. It's funny. It's kind of they contradict themselves a lot. Um, even in Germany, I went to Germany for a little to Berlin, obviously for a few weeks, also. And it's like you guys work too much. You work too much. But in the same breath, they'll say we want to build a unicorn too, like San Francisco. Like oh my god, all these amazing companies are coming out of the U.S. Coming out of San Francisco. We want to be the next unicorn. And I'm kind of like, well, you got to work like really hard. Like it's very contradictory contradictory. Um, you know, if you, if you want that, you can do that, but it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, co-living software, who would buy that? 
Um, Co-living operators, big and small. So anywhere from, you know, maybe 10 people living in a big home all the way upwards of, you know, a a co-living community that has a thousand, you know, Ah. residents in a multifamily building. But they're they're sharing, you know, what, what these builders will do is they'll make, like there's one in LA, they have like a hundred apartment units. They have one bedroom, three, two bedroom, three bedrooms. But in that three bedroom apartment, there might be two people sharing each bedroom. So you'll have six people in a three bedroom apartment of apartment community co-living together mm-hmm. collectively. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, very cool. Cause I, one example I thought was cool. It kind of reminds me of um, like, I feel like it's becoming more popular of women buying a big house and each kind of have their own wing, right? And they share all the responsibilities and they share all that. So it kind of reminds me of that. So that's why I was like, um, I was thinking, do they need software or who like ultimately needs that? So good clarification. Okay. And then that brings us to the Magnolia firm. So fantastic journey you've had. I want to dig into what would you say your biggest lessons have been throughout your career as a founder and business owner? Let's start there because I have a few more follow-up questions. What have been your biggest lessons? Without a doubt, fire fast, hire slow. Oh my gosh. I learned this one so hard and it's like, nobody likes firing people. I don't know a single business owner and all these years, 20 years of firing people, you know, I it never gets easier. I hate it. So I put it off with the cleaning company. Um, there was a bad apple. She was negative. She's like poisoning the whole team. And so she convinces them to all ask for a raise on a Friday morning, our busiest day of the year um, or the week. And they all stand in front of me. So we've got about 12. So I think seven quid out of 12. Yeah. Um, you know, you got 12 cleaning. And, and back then I wasn't cleaning. You know, at that point I was working in the office. I wasn't cleaning anymore. You know, you got 12 house cleaners standing in front of you on a Friday morning saying, give us a raise or we're walking today. (laughs) I just stood there. I'm in my 20s. And thank God I like just thought quick enough to say, I'm like, not going to happen. I go, each and every one of you, I need you to come in my office individually. And you're going to sign a piece of paper that says you will never work here again, that you're resigning. You will never work here again. And it was, it was smart of me to do that because there was this herd mentality and some house cleaners are more introverted and they're, you know, their self-esteem might be lower. So they'll get bullied around, um, you know, and then they'll just kind of follow the group. And so one by one, I come in and I'm like, okay, Maria, you've been here for like three years. Are you serious? You're really going to quit right now. And then she's like, oh, you know, and so she says, yes, I'm going to stay. Next one comes in. I'm like, I'm like, okay, it's up to you. And she's like, well, did Maria say yes or not? It doesn't matter what Maria said. Right, right. What do you want to <laughs> like, do? Yeah. What do you want to do? So I had seven out of 12 quit on a Friday morning. Um, yours truly had to go clean that day. <laughs> I had not cleaned in a while. I was just like, okay, roll up the sleeves. Let's go, right. you know? And so, um, and, you know, cancel some clients off that day, obviously. Um, those five that stuck around, stuck around with me forever. Like they didn't, they were in every, all seven, every single one of them came back to ask for their job back over time. Including the and bad apple? No. Yeah, include or I don't know. I don't think she did. No, she knew better. Every single other one did. I said no, and then that current team was like, "Wow, you like really stick to your word." 
So uh, we had a dedicated team going forward. And yeah, I mean, you just can't let your team bully you. There's no way. But I should have fired her three months earlier. So look what happened. Right. I was like, oh my gosh. So like fire fast, hire slow. So take your time when you hire. It's an expensive, it costs money to like train people. So take your time, hire the right person, make sure they're a culture fit. So that's important. Yeah, for sure. Any other takeaways? Um, I think we talked about a lot of them thus far. I mean, following your gut, I think with women, we have this advantage of this amazing intuition that we can tap into. Um, so just listening to that um, and following your gut right. when it's kind of speaking right. to you because it'll start screaming at you. Yeah, especially <laughs> when women go like in your situation, I don't think that uh, um, all founder or all VC firms or investors, you know, you're going to find yourself in the situation of snorting Coke and, you know, that's pretty extreme, but I often think that women are in uncomfortable situations and scenarios because let's face it. I mean, it's changing on a daily basis, especially in the past year or two for female investors to be part and really investing. But, uh, I know myself, I've, I pitched to a ton of men, um, firms, you know, like rooms of men. And sometimes I think that it's very uncomfortable and they put you in, um, very uncomfortable situations and, and maybe not, are not always appropriate. Right. So like you said, stick with your intuition and your uh, gut, but also I would encourage everyone, like you don't need the money that bad. Like (laughs) there will be another investor, like it, it don't sell your soul, uh, to get investing. I don't know. I, um, I've read several articles from female founders about how they've been treated and during the funding process and it's absurd. Yeah. And we're both, me and you, blonde hair, blue eyes. So imagine that. So I would actually wear a glass. I don't need to wear glasses, but I started wearing glasses on pitch meetings because, um, just, uh, subconsciously people are, think you're smarter. It's funny. So really, I just, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I forget the percentage. So I'm like, well, I'm just yeah. going to do whatever it takes yeah. to try to come off a little. we need to break out the wigs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, so, so no, there was definitely some of that, which is unfortunate because my dad raised me and I never thought of myself. I just think of myself as like a business person. Like I don't ever say, Oh, you know, I'm not, in, it's weird. Yeah. Like naturally I never thought that way. Um, but yeah, in the tech world, woof, it was like, <laughs> it caught me off guard. I was like, okay, maybe not an advantage to be a female. Um, it is a very big advantage. What I do now, I'll, I'll speak to this super quickly. Um, and it took me a while to notice, it took me a few months, but, um, negotiating cause, cause I'm negotiating with pretty much men, right? So most of the, the people buying the businesses are male. A lot of my sellers are men. And, um, but in negotiations, uh, on the purchases, I noticed it was really easy for me. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And what I learned and my business partner is harder because he's a male. So I quickly learned, even before he came on, it clicked. I'm like, there's no ego involved. That's what's ah. happening. With two guys negotiating against each other, there's ego every single time. Like, and with me, there isn't. So I don't have that resistance. So I'm like, wow, yay, I'm finally <laughs> I'm like in an industry where it's like actually an advantage to be a female, finally. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Uh, what advice would you give to um, 
founders or entrepreneurs that are either starting, have an idea, or maybe, um, you know, in the grind trying to get profitable, um, maybe, you know, they haven't reached the success moment yet, like, right? They haven't, so somewhere within that stage. Um, it's hustle. I mean, I know there's this anti-hustle culture kind of movement right now. And again, nothing wrong with if you want a lifestyle business, if you want to grow slowly, nothing wrong with that. But I see people that want that massive success, but then they're not, they're wondering why it's not coming so easily. You know, I see on Instagram, it makes it look like it's so easy. It is not. And again, I work with business owners day in, day out. And I'm in their companies very deeply and they freaking hustled. I know they slept on a cot in the beginning before they built this multi-million dollar company. Like I know the backstory. I've seen it. I've seen it with my friends. Like, and I love it. It's magical, but that's my number one. It's freaking hustle. Like you just do whatever it takes. You work the hours you need to work. You give up, you know, I gave up the spring breaks. I gave up the summers, the weekends, the holidays. I mean, it was insane. The dating, all that, the stuff I gave up, which I don't regret one bit because I live this like magical life now. So it was so worth it. But yeah, that would be my biggest advice. Yeah. You got to put in the work. For sure. Uh, Okay. So the difference between running a service-based company, a product-based company, and a software company or a tech company. How, what would you say the differences are or the biggest aha moments of the differences? Uh, I mean, you got to treat them different, right? Like services, you got to duplicate the service. Basically, you got to duplicate you. A product, you've got your product, right? You, that's about marketing. You got to find like marketing that to get people to buy the product, right? And make sure that it's um, quality, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're a good market, I tell everybody, if you're a good marketer and that's kind of my core strength is marketing and sales. If you know that you can have any business you want, if you know those two things, well, you're good. Um, product there's inventory involved. So there's a lot of logistics. So I'm not a massive fan of that. That's why most of mine were service-based and they were B2C. Uh, consumers buy, uh, based on emotion. Typically I did B2B and I will do not like doing that. Um, <laughs> technically, I mean, we're kind of B2B right now, you know, cause we're selling to business owners, I guess it's B2B. It doesn't really feel like it as much, but, um, so, and then tech is my tech was B to B to C. Um, and yeah, we already talked enough about tech. Yeah. That's a whole nother yeah. ball game, yeah. but I, I personally love service businesses, but not everybody does. Cause it, that's also, that's operational heavy. Yeah. Right. So where can people find you? Like if they are interested in buying a company, selling a company, um, if they've reached that $250,000 revenue target, right? That's the target. Quarter of a million. Yep. Uh, yeah. Where can they find you? Yeah. So quarter of a million in profit. So after, you know, all the expenses are pulled, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, Christine McDaniel. I'm very great about, you know, responding to messages there. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, of course, the Magnolia Firm has a YouTube channel and an Instagram channel, Twitter. So you can find us on all the social media platforms, the Magnolia Firm, and then the magnoliafirm.co is our website. That's awesome. Fantastic. I so appreciate you taking some time to chat and sharing your uh, entrepreneur and founder journey. It's super fun. I love your story. And uh, I'm certain that other people 
will get a kick out of it as well as relate to some of your um, ups and downs and successes. So thanks again for joining us and I hope you have a fantastic day. You too, Brooke. Thank you so much. This was a blast. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings.